the blast from our past network. Hello and welcome to the Blast from Our Past podcast, where the podcast gives you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, and a whole lot more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. I'm Adam. I'm John. And today is a little bit of a love letter to Stephen King, but not his real horror scary stuff. Yeah. Instead, we're going to talk more of his uh, dramatic things, uh, or properties based on some of his kind of more dramatic things. And we are going to discuss the 1986 film Stand By Me. We're going to review the uh, early 2000s show The Dead Zone, and then... I don't know why. Uh, you know, I mean, I do know why because we were looking for something to cast. And we're like, you know what? It fits. Because you didn't want to cast kids. That's why. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't want to cast Stand By Me kids because guess what? It would just be Stranger Thing kids, and that's right. It. <laughs> but instead, we figured, you know what? Last time when we talked Shawshank Redemption, it is both, if not our favorite, it's it's in like our top three for both John I would, and I. I would honestly just call it my favorite. I've been anyone anyone who asks, I'd just say Shawshank. Me too. Shawshank is, is what I would say is my favorite movie of all time. And it's also Stephen King property. And you know what? Let's do it. Let's recast yeah. that sucker. You know, let's see what we do to, to revamp Shawshank. Because everybody's clamoring, you know? They think they need a new Shawshank. Actually, nobody does. And we don't need it, but who cares? We like doing this. And casting is fun. And incidentally, both Shawshank and Stand By Me both came out of the same book. Yes, different seasons. Yep. Great, uh, I, a great book. A lot of good stories out of that. Even the one, even the one story yes. that didn't get made into a movie, mm-hmm. is a really good story. I own it. Keisha, my wife, bought it for me for like my birthday one year, and it's still just sitting like on my nightstand of like you need to read. Yeah, I, it's one I need to because exactly, it's got the body, it's got uh, Shawshank, uh, it's got apt pupil or yep. the, what became apt pupil, and then there's one other one you're right that didn't hasn't become a movie or anything. And I remember reading it, and I really liked the story, but you can definitely, once you read that one, you're like, okay, you know, they would never make this into a movie. Okay, cool. It makes a much well, better story than, uh, than a movie. It's on my to-do. Once I like actually want to read a book and not just a comic book, uh, it's on my to-do yeah. list. I, I went through a that. period in college where I, I just started reading a ton of... Uh, mm. Stephen King like novellas okay like a bunch of I got like a bunch of his books of short stories and stuff like that I think I did read the Green Mile though the actual book but uh yeah and and I would say different seasons might be my favorite yeah I say that could have been a good recasting as well Uh, but Mm -hmm. we save it for another another episode so all right so 1986 John could you set our minds back to that wonderful year all right, so the film was released on August 22nd, 1986, the Billboard Top 100 single for that week, Papa Don't Preach by Madonna. That's a good one. That might be one of my more favorite of her earlier works. That's a really good song. You're right. I like it better than like Borderline. I like it better than a lot of her early stuff. It is. It's just. Mm -hmm. It's got a fun, poppy feel. Happy feel. Topping the Nielsen ratings is no surprise. The Cosby Show, of course. Uh, Late to uh, late 1986 was the release of the original NES system, and early in August, uh, Nintendo released Metroid. Okay. 
Sam, Samus, Samus Aran, Samus, mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Either or. She's a badass female lead character. Yep. Uh, the New York Times bestseller was a book called Red Storm Rising by Tom Clancy. Okay. Not one Don't of the ones I've read of his, yeah. but I've read a number of Tom Clancy's books. They're always yeah. pretty good. Cool. And my weird fun fact for 1986, a man named Nalim Kumar Kair set a world record in 1986 by spending 72 hours in a cage with 72 of the most venomous snake species in India. And he did this in order to spread awareness and prove that snakes don't bite unless provoked. He came out of the cage unharmed without a single bite. Wow. And he didn't, like, drug him or do any, like, smoking in or anything? Like, you know what I mean? Nope. Like, you know, okay. yep. Nope. Just him in a big cage with some snakes. That sounds like my nightmare. Yeah. If there, I mean, I, I'm not that scared of snakes, but... If there's a snake like in my house or whatnot, even if it's not a venomous, even if I know it's just like a king snake, you know, or a rat snake or whatever, I'm gonna kill that fucker. <laughs> if there's any living creature in my house that I have not personally invited, right. I'm gonna kill you. <laughs> <laughs> even like I'm the asshole that even kills ladybugs. I fucking I don't care. I'm sorry, I don't care. Fuck you, ladybug. I don't care that you're cute. Oh, that was 1986. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, uh, let's talk stand by me. Stand By Me, 1986, directed by Rob Reiner. We've already talked about him a couple times. Uh, the Princess Bride, uh, American President, Ghost of Mississippi, a lot of fantastic stuff. Uh, as we already mentioned, this was based on the 1982 novella called The Body. And the title of this song has was derived from the song by Benny King, because mm-hmm. they knew they were going to use that song, obviously. Uh, music for this movie was done by Jack Nietzsche. Uh, he did music for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, An Officer and a Gentleman, Nine and a Half Weeks. A uh, good bit of other little stuff as well. I thought he did a pretty good job with this one. There wasn't too mm-hmm. much that stood out to yep. me, and maybe it didn't need to. Maybe it just needed to set the mood. But the there, the parts in the beginning and the end, when they actually incorporate the melody from Stand By mm-hmm. Me into mm-hmm. the score, worked really well because it's it's. It's a little subtle, and if you're not paying attention, I can I can yeah. see how you might easily miss it. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And I mean, this movie, I would say the score absolutely gets overshadowed by the soundtrack because mm-hmm. the soundtrack is phenomenal, like, you know, 50s hit after 50s hit kind of right. thing. So uh, the cast for this movie, Gordy Lachance, is played by Will Wheaton. Uh, we know him from Star Trek The Next Generation and then Big Bang Theory, where he played a fictionalized version of himself. Uh, Chris Chambers is played by River Phoenix. We talked about him in Explorers. He was also uh, the young indie in The Last Crusade movie, uh, My Own Private Idaho, and of course uh, died from a mix of different drugs overdose uh, right at the Viper Room yep. in Los Angeles. Uh, incidentally, my son and I just listened to a podcast that was specifically about, or the episode was about the Viper Room, Oh, okay. about the history of the Viper Room, and it did cover that uh, part. And we we listened to it right before I was sh- I showed him this movie, and I didn't tell him that River Phoenix was going to be in the movie. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, I watched. I can't remember what I. I think I was watching like the Dark Side of the '90s. It was on Hulu. It's a mm. documentary series, and and 
they went through like River Phoenix's de- death mm-hmm. and his brother, then known as Leaf Phoenix, who we right. know as Joaquin Phoenix, was there and he, he they had the the nine one one like call. the nine one one call with Leaf on it and his like brothers on the side on the out front, you know, on the pavement dying. And yeah. it's just it's awful. It's brutal. Yeah, it's it's hard to listen to. Yep. Uh Teddy Duchamp is played by Corey Feldman, and we've talked about him in Gremlins. He is in Lost Boys, Goonies. We also talked about him. He voiced Donatello in the 1991 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. So classic 80s guy there. Vern is played by Jerry O'Connell. Um, we know him from Kangaroo Jack, Sliders, Scream 2. I think we were all jealous because he was like married to Rebecca Romaine, I think, or something like that for a while, or someone like that. Was, he, he, had, I, he had like a... Yeah, he mm. was or is married to Rebecca Romain. I think he is married to Rebecca Romain. Okay. Yeah, it was, so it was after like John Stamos. Yeah. And she up she downgraded, I'm not gonna lie, a little bit to maybe he's good. He's probably a great guy. <laughs> I don't know. Do you remember uh, Joe's apartment? I oh the the roach. He talks the whole, to roaches. The, the talking roach thing, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot I about that one. That one. <laughs> Ace is played by Kiefer Sutherland. Uh, he was also in Lost Boys. Twenty four is probably what he's best known for. Uh, phone booth. He's been in quite a bit of stuff, and of course, son of Donald Sutherland. Uh, and then the last person I'm going to mention here is Eyeball Chambers, uh, who was uh, played by Bradley Gregg. He was Chris Chambers' older brother in this one. Obviously, uh, he was in Nightmare on Elm Street three. He was also a small part in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, but a bunch of other small roles. Hmm. Kind of him, but he shows up in the movie enough. So, mm-hmm. all right, Stand by Me had a budget of eight million dollars and a box office of fifty two million dollars. That's, that's a pretty, pretty solid showing. I was going to say, that's a pretty good payday. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's good. That's good return on investment. Especially for 1986. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, I mean, that was that time where in the 80s and the 90s, it was all about that 100 million mark. That's what I, that's what I remember being the real determinant of success was right. it was a big movie when it made over 100 million. Now it's a billion. That's right. ridiculous. It's fucking insane. And the thing is, though, is is people see that as a marker, but I, you and I could probably state a lot of movies that made a billion dollars that we would say that was not a good movie. Yeah. Show me a good movie that only made fifty million dollars, way more than I want to see a bad movie that hit a billion. Yeah. No. Absolutely. All right. Um. Now let's talk about our nostalgic past with Stand by Me. I'll start first. I specifically remember. We saw this movie, I mean, I was young when we saw this movie. Mm-hmm. I believe mom showed it to us, but I can't be that for sure on that. But I'm pretty sure she's a big fan of this one. And I feel like I remember her either having it or showing it to us. I can't remember if it was on TV or rented it or whatnot. But I just remember, I remember this movie kind of always being there. Yeah, I do too. And I, I part of me thinks that what we had was like the TV version that she like videotaped or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because um, I'm trying to remember. Do you remember if, all the fucks? <laughs> all the if all the curses were in there or not? And yeah. I want to say probably not. So maybe she videotaped it off of like TNT or some Something. other like that. Yeah, pretty early on, I agree. This was a one that rotated through every now mm-hmm. and then. Yeah, and I always thought fondly of it when I was younger. And to be honest, this is a movie that another one. Where I'll say, like, for me, it's like Rocky Horror Picture Show or Princess Bride or 
Um, I mean, Shawshank, of course, mm-hmm. where after every couple or like uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, same kind of thing. After a few years, I get the itch and I'm like, you know what? I want to rewatch it. Re-watch it. Mm. So I, I've probably seen this within the last five years, I would say. I don't think I could say the same thing. I, I think it might have been at least 10 years since I've seen since I okay. actually sat down and watched the whole movie. OK. All right. Well, let's see how it holds up in our much older ages. We are very old, old people now. So. <laughs> All right, we start off, we see a man, he's our narrator, obviously, he's an older Gordy, as we can tell, and it's played by Richard Dreyfus. Jaws and bajillion things, Richard Dreyfus is Close awesome. Encounters. Mr. Holland's Opus. Yeah, Close Encounters, yep, third kind. So he's sitting in the car, um, and we're actually getting a slowed kind of version, you're right, I, I, I heard, I recognized immediately that slowed version of Stand By Me to kind of lead us into it, and I just have to mention, this is, so it's, I believe, the opening line of the book. Um, or at least the opening line that that uh, this character says, but I love it. I was 12 going on 13 the first time I saw a dead human being. It happened in the summer of 1959, a long time ago, but only if you measure it in terms of years. I, I just think that's a very interesting, very... It has a lot of depth to it, that line. It does, and I think that... Yeah. As someone who who we are now the age of the older Gordy, mm-hmm. we are looking back and and sometimes you know it seems to us our childhood does not seem that long ago. When you say it out loud, like <laughs> it was twenty thirty years ago, that's in years that's a long time. But you know mm-hmm. in our memories it doesn't feel that long. So I this movie maybe more than any other one we've ever talked about pretty much personifies this podcast. <laughs> Yes, that's a good, exactly, this is nostalgia, the entire time, and it's funny, the the movie is in itself an entire flashback from Gordy, we get flashbacks within flashbacks, uh, you know, from the Gordy character and other stuff like that, but you're right, it, it, it's it, it, very similar to Sandlot, you know, it's got mm-hmm. that, that same kind of opening. Uh, Alright, so we do, we flashback to a, back in 1959, a small town, we meet, you know, the young kids, Gordy, Chris, and Teddy, it just... These guys are very much the classic, like, 12-year-old, 13-year-old kind of boys. Uh, they're making fun of each other. Uh, I love where Gordy, uh, or I think it was Chris or whoever was making fun of uh, Teddy. Oh, you are they're playing spade. They're playing 31 or mm. 21 or whatever it is yeah. or something like that. And, he, you know, I love his line. Or I think it's Chris's line. Before I pile of shit, a pile of shit has a thousand eyes. A pile of shit has a thousand eyes. Uh, that, those weird, weird kind of lines stick with me over these years. Well, so. Teddy was weird to begin with. So. Yeah, Teddy, they established that immediately, that he's the crazy one. So uh, in comes Vern, the chubby one of the group. You got to have the chubby one uh-huh. of the group. <laughs> and I get it. Someone that they all kind of rip on. I get it. But he asks them to go tent out at his place. And then he ends up dropping the line. You guys want to go see a dead body? Oh, that gets them all excited, of course. Uh, so Vern apparently heard from his brother. He was under under the deck searching for some pennies that he lost uh, from his brother who had seen the body of this guy, this kid, Ray Brower, who had gone missing. The brother mentions he must have gotten hit by the train. He's there with another one of his kind of gang friends who we'll meet a little bit more in detail later. So the boys, our boys, decide that they want to go find him. They want to get their picture in the newspaper. They'll be heroes if they can find the body of Ray Brower. And so they're all in. We find out that Gordy's family life is in a bit of disarray uh, because his older brother, Denny, died in a Jeep accident. The parents right now are just 
really still kind of zoned out from that. Uh, we find um, Gordy has to go into that brother's room to get his canteen for the trip. You know, he kind of looks back. You get a little flashback of his brother um, and him remembering his brother, who is played by John Cusack. Uh, so it's kind of <laughs> nice to see him. We talked about him in Con Air, and he's been in a hundred things as well. And he that was something I did not recognize until I was much older. Like I, when I was a kid, I didn't know who John Cusack was, but yeah, I think at some point when I revisited as an adult, it, that's when it dawned on me that oh, that's John Cusack. Yeah, so and great, a very great very cast. young John. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but we can tell just from these flashbacks that he's he's a great older brother. He was a great old, older brother and is immensely missed by Gordy. You know, also missed by his dad, who I want to call out his, uh, Gordy's dad is played by Marshall Bell. Oh, and God. We probably... We're all going to die. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, yes. Uh, so he was in Starship Troopers. Yeah. Uh, he was also the guy who is Quato is attached to. Yes. In Total yeah. Recall. <laughs> uh, he's got, he's been in quite a bit of things. Uh, and then the mother is played by Frances Lee McCain. Uh, we saw her in Gremlins. Mm-hmm. We know her from Gremlins. She's also was in Footloose. She's been in Back to the Future, Scream, a good bit of stuff for her as yeah, well. She's been a prominent character actor in uh, all those yeah. older movies that we watched when we were kids. Absolutely. The dad, though, what an asshole. God. Like, <laughs> he turns turns to Gordy. Why can't you have friends like Denny? It's just like, holy shit. You can tell he obviously does not approve of Gordy and his kid and his friends, particularly Chris, because who is apparently, you know, caught or, you know, was was said to have stolen some milk money from a school and shit like that. So we'll get more on that later. Only only something like a kid stealing milk money would go over as a big deal in like a tiny main town. Yeah. Anywhere sure. else would have been like, well, don't do that again. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so. All right, so Gordy and Chris start to meet up. Chris shows him that he brought something. He brought a pistol. He brought a gun with him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I guess Chris comes from kind of the wrong side of the tracks. You can yeah. uh, He's kind of, not to say he's white trash because he's not white trash, but he kind of comes from uh, kind of a broken family like that. Uh, but Gordy looks at it, inspects it, and, you know, just like any kid does, we kind of pretend like they're shooting it, you know, and then he ends up really pulling the trigger. Jesus! I love <laughs> they yell that and they run off. Chris has to swear that he didn't know it was loaded. He, you know, because Gordy's a little pissed at him. But the way to really swear, John, is you have to pinky swear. Mm-hmm. I do see a lot of similarities between this and Sandlot because you're getting some of those kid things that mean a lot to you. Like in Sandlot, you get the double dog dare or the triple dog dare or whatever it is to do something. And in this one, it's pinky swear man that's that's the most biggest swear there is you know and later we find out you got to skin it to make right. amends that kind of stuff it's like it's the shit that at the time felt like it meant a lot <laughs> all right uh then the kids meet ace who is an asshole chris calls him an asshole uh, he is the leader of this kind of older teen gang in town they call themselves the cobras um and he steals gordy's hat the one that we saw his brother gave to him uh, and also Ace forces Chris uh, on the ground and like puts a cigarette up to his face, trying, you know, forcing him to call back him, calling calling him an asshole, shit like that. He's a, he's a fucking bully. He's mm-hmm. just a fucking bully. Yeah. All right. All four of the boys head out on their adventure and they start walking down the train tracks and 
You know, Vern just wants to hitchhike. I do like uh, Teddy's line. Did your mother ever have any kids that lived? What do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> I like that one. I Like, that's another one that, you know, I can't say I use it often, but I, I do think about it, and I'm yeah. sure, I've tri- I'm sure I've tried to use it at times. <laughs> so Eventually, they realize they don't have any food, and they've got to count up the money that they've got with them. Uh, and so the train comes at that time, and so they're going to have to get off the tracks. But Teddy doesn't get off. And as you as you mentioned, he's kind of the crazy one. <laughs> he's got some issues. He's going to dodge it. Train dodge. Dig it. You know, he's <laughs> he's going to want to do it, but Chris isn't having it. Chris is the leader of their group, and he drags him off, kind of kicking and screaming. They fight about it. They get pissed at each other. And here they have to skin it to make peace, you know, to clear the air, if you will. So it's just a, it's a simpler time, you know, and not even talking about a simpler time like the 50s. It's a simpler time as a kid mm-hmm. where, you know, the thing that, you know, to to exactly to make the demands, you had to skin it or you had to do a spit shake or whatever it was that you, know, you kind of did that that, you know, meant, you know, you guys could move on. It was great so. when that was the limit of things you had to worry about. You didn't yeah. have to worry about bills. You didn't have to worry about taxes. You know, are you getting through school well enough? And, mm-hmm. are, you know, do you have friends and do you trust us? But just. The, the things that you worry about as a kid is something is an innocence you will never get back ever yeah once you become an adult you're right and I, I try to I try to make sure that like my kids even if they don't quite understand it get to do things as a kid that I know that they won't get to do they won't get to do later in life when they become an adult I'm in a position to do it so I do it mm-hmm. and nice. I and I think I know I think I know that coming from I think to our mother's credit, and I'm going to get, I guess, a little sappy here. To our mother's credit, she worked hard to make sure we could still do things. Mm -hmm. Um, She always said that we always had to be doing something. If it wasn't, you know, a sports thing, it was some sort of after-school club, or we always had to have something that we were involved in, that we weren't just sitting around. We weren't just coming home every day, sitting around, watching TV, which we did plenty of that. Oh, plenty. <laughs> you know, we were the, of that generation, but we still had, like, we all three of us, even though we didn't go to the same school, all three of us did marching band. We all did sports to some degree. And, you know, being a single parent and neither of our parents particularly making a lot of money, I think she did a pretty damn good job of yeah. giving us those oppor- the opportunities that we could have. Yeah. Oh, so. absolutely. I mean, I never felt... You know, I go back and I know we didn't, you know, we didn't travel like other families might have or some other stuff. Right. I mean, we still had plenty of opportunities. We went up to Iowa and saw our families, right. you know, all, almost every but summer she, or things like she, that. I mean, we kind of, we we did like small traveling. Like oh, we yes. would go out to, we'd go up to Tennessee or down to Florida for exactly. a camping weekend exactly. or we'd go to the beach for a week or something like that. Yeah. It wasn't like, it wasn't these exotic European vacations. Right, of course. Eh, who gives a shit about that? We hit, And we loved it. We didn't care. Yeah. So yeah, and we you're right. We were never wanting, you right. know. We always were doing stuff, and we had friends, and we were always able to. And I, I want to go back just a little bit to something you said, which I think nailed it on the head when it comes to nostalgia, nostalgia for particularly the, this type of time in your life, um, where you know you didn't have any responsibilities like at all, and you, and you didn't have to, you know, have those kind of worries. And I think that is something why people so think so fondly of like i would say from this time till the end of college yeah you know where you just have to worry about kind of just 
having a good fun and, and being a kid. Yeah. Just worry about being a kid. And, you know, that's why so much of the content, so much of the movies and TV shows like around that time for us, we go back to because you don't have to worry about, you know, okay, when's my next paycheck? Mm-hmm. You know, how's my job going? All this kind of stuff. It's all right. Hey, I'm going through school and am I having, you know, what, what do I do with my buddies next Saturday? Right. You know, shit like that. And same, yeah, with college, it's even better, I would say, because it's that intermediate time where you're old enough to do some stupid stuff, <laughs> but you're not so old that you have to have all the responsibility to tie to tie in with it. Yeah. Uh, college so. does, I thought, does do a good job, though, of like giving you that taste yeah. of what adulthood is really like. But depending on how you're going through, because I know college is different for different people. And it was even between you and me and Abby, it was slightly, our experiences were slightly different. Sure. So that one, I think college is a, is a good thing. And I always advocate, when I taught high school, I always advocated to my kids go out of state, go somewhere else. Don't stay yeah, at sure. home and go to college, go somewhere else and go to college. It's it is absolutely worth it. Not not just for, you know, going to a different school, but the life experience you get having to live or go do something somewhere that you're not familiar with really kind of helps you push your way into that sort of adulthood mode. I agree. All right, let me get back to our breakdown. We had a nice little <laughs> sure. side tangent there. Um, we do see Ace and his uh, gang guys are playing mailbox baseball. I think that's kind of funny. Uh, so the boys have to cross a junkyard and we hear stories about, you know, the mean junkyard guy who owns it, junkyard owner, and this dog named Chopper that was trained to sick balls. Uh, but (laughs) it doesn't open yet. They're not in sight. So they scale it and they kind of hang out just inside in the shade for a while. By the way, my son never laughed harder in this movie than the couple times where they mentioned Chopper sick balls. He thought it was the funniest thing. (laughs) Good. Good. It is funny. Uh, so, yeah, we find out, yeah, the, the junkyard won't open for a little bit. So they're just kind of relaxing in the shade in there. So, But they have to flip for who goes to get the food. And at first, they flip. So they do odd man out. And first, they flip and everybody gets four tails. Oh, that's a goocher. That's a really bad sign for Vern. You know, he's, he's worried about it. Uh, and then they flip again. Gordy is the odd man out. He's odd as a cod. So he has to go. And the kids just... I do just love they just make fun of each other and they degrade each other and they make fun of each other's mothers all the time. Like this is where they do kind of, you know, the those mother jokes and whatnot and Shut up. I don't shut up. Shut up. I, I grow up. up. And when, when I look at you, I throw up. <laughs> and then your mother goes around the corner and she licks it up. Oh all this shit. And it, to me, these kind of scenes and like this kind of friendship just felt kind of real to me. Because I felt like I was kind of like that, you know, like I would and I still fuck my some of my best friends. All I do is we make fun of each other. Right. You know, we could talk about whatever. But at the same time, it's like, oh, man, you're so ugly. I hate you. <laughs> so, I mean, not like that, but you know what I mean? I mean, a little bit, hopefully a little bit more creative now. <laughs> but it just yeah, it just felt genuine. Honestly, it felt like these four kids were actually friends to me. Yeah. All right, so uh, Gordy goes to get the food, and the person who runs the store recognizes him as Denny's brother. Um, and, of course, Gordy kind of has a flashback about that. Obviously, we see his parents love Denny a lot, um, but, you know, not so much. They're not paying attention to Gordy. And Denny, though, is the one who kind of gives that emotional support to Gordy that he's missing from his parents. So he's very much missed 
by his younger brother. Uh, Gordy returns to the junkyard, but at this time, he sees his friends scaling the fence and heading out, and Gordy realizes, oh shit, the junkyard owner's there, as is Chopper, and he's got to run, and he hears where you hear another great, that great line. Chopper! Sick him, boy! Now he said, sick him, boy. But what I heard was, Chopper, sick balls. <laughs> so, it's just that, yes, it's the, uh, you know, the local legend of the scary dog. Another thing that obviously Sandlot ripped off, um, I would say, or, or took, you know, took inspiration from, you know, the, the junkyard guy, you know, he's kind of there on the other side of the fence because Gordy got away, um, ends up being a real kind of asshole too, but he like rips into Teddy because we find out a little bit about Teddy's backstory from this conversation where he's making fun of Teddy with his loony dad up in Tookus, you know, who's obviously had some mental issues or whatnot is up like at a, at a mental facility and Teddy doesn't like that. He doesn't like hearing about it. He doesn't want to have people make fun of his dad who he feels, you know, went to war and, and is a, is a you know good person and shit like this. So, so they, unfortunately that happens and uh, have to press on though. So, uh, Ace and his gang listen to the radio and they hear about Ray Brower who's brought up on, you know, consistently and the two, uh, guys who know about it are about to say something, but not yet. So we'll come back uh, and we'll get that kind of more concluded. So uh, the song Lollipop plays. There's been a lot of great songs I haven't really mentioned, right. but I was like this one because they're walking on the train tracks, singing along to it. Um, and then Chris and Gordy kind of talk about, you know, life in general, future, and Chris sees the potential that Gordy has and he's like, you know, just leave me behind when we when we go out to school and you go to college and all this shit. Like just leave us behind, leave me behind. And you know, Gordy doesn't want that. He doesn't want to forget his friend. Um but Chris doesn't want to weigh down Gordy and, and he gives him all this, you know, talks about how good he is as a writer and things like that, which we know from, you know, seeing the beginning of this movie, he does become a writer. Mm-hmm. And so he is able to do that. So meanwhile, Vern and Teddy talk about if Mighty Mouse can beat up Superman or not. <laughs> Fun conversation. So uh, they eventually get to this massive bridge that crosses a river. And of course, they're worried. It's only got a single lane basically on it. They got to make sure that they can cross it before a train comes. So they're first worried, but they're going to continue on. Uh, so they're walking through and Teddy and Chris are up at the front and Vern is going very slowly, uh, afraid not to. Almost, you know, miss at a crawl at a crawl because he's crawling, uh, you know, because he doesn't want to fall or anything like that. And he's just overly cautious. Uh, but uh, Vern even loses his comb. He brought a comb so they could, you know, get their hair looking good for for pictures. The newspaper. <laughs> he's got his, his priorities. Yep. But then they hear it. Train! And it's right behind. It's basically behind him. And so this is a wonderful scene you get amazing tension great acting i think by the kids oh yeah yeah my son was screaming at Vern at the tv <laughs> like move it Vern, move like he was actually yelling at Vern. <laughs> i mean that's a great sign that is a great sign of a movie um great sign of, of everything basically when you're getting that emotion mm-hmm. you know when you're like get the fuck out get, go uh so the kids you know Vern and and gordy have to jump a little early but they do get across they yeah. survived they, they didn't die so kind of an intense scene but i wonder this is a 
awesome climactic kind of scene or you know intense scene i feel when i went to go see Corey up in oregon mm-hmm. we didn't end up having the time but he told me he was gonna go take me where they filmed this scene because that's kind of near i guess it's near where he lives oh, okay right now the bridge the bridge scene in particular so that's pretty badass all right anyway uh they camp for the night Another another line that I have used, and Keisha hates it when I use this line. <laughs> but Vern, so Vern was kind of talking about how he, you know, oh, I wasn't really all that scared, which of course we know he was fucking scared. Yes, he was. Yes. And <laughs> Gordy replies, Okay, then you won't mind if we check the CD of Jockeys for Hershey squirts, will you? I, I think it's just the term Hershey squirts that my wife doesn't like, but right. I have said this to her before, like something like, like you know, some kind of amalgam of it and she is uh, she's not a fan of that one but it's it's a line i i say <laughs> so all right at night they have a smoke by the fire nothing like a cigarette after dinner and <laughs> just like man these were different times yeah <laughs> did your son uh did your son want to light up after that and be like oh it's after dinner dad let's uh let's smoke up no 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 he's smart he's smart he's, you have a smart yeah, kid there he's smart i mean even when i was a kid i was like Oh, why are they doing that? Smoking has yeah. never really been a thing I was fond of. I did try it when I went to college. I didn't like it. Yeah. And the most the most you get from me is the occasional cigar, which the last time the last like three times I had a cigar was with you, and that was like ten years apart. That's pretty much the times I've smoked cigars as well. Um maybe I've had like two more in those ten years than you. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm, I I can do cigars okay, but I don't really even like a whole stogie anymore because right. they, the whole thing it just gets you. And I prefer. I don't like. I hate sucking anything into my lungs. It makes me cough every time. I'm, yeah, I'm the same way. And so even when I smoke a cigarette, I just kind of hold it in my cheeks, kind of like a cigar. Right. Because I I I don't like the cough. I I will say I I was up with Corey and I I took a puff of whatever weed he was smoking. In Oregon, it's legal up there, so I can say that. Right. And I was coughing the rest of the fucking night, and I didn't take any. I was like, I'll just stick to whiskey. I, I just <laughs> uh, weed is not my thing. Yeah. I just know that and smoking anything is not my thing. So you know, they're by the fire. Gordy tells them a story about this kid Lardass. <laughs> Can't even remember the main the name the kid the names Davy something the, the name's kid yeah Davy Gordon or something I don't know I don't Gordy know. doesn't matter he's Lardass. And about how this whole town makes fun of him, and he enters a pie-eating contest, and we get to watch as this story kind of unf- you know unfolds as he's talking to the, telling the other kids, and how he gets his revenge uh, at a pie-eating contest where uh, he pissed off for the entire town making fun of him, but he chugs castor oil and drinks and eats a raw egg before doing this pie-eating contest where he's eating super fast. He uh, ends up throwing up, which... Looks so ridiculous, but it's meant to look ridiculous because it's a kid's story mm-hmm. where, I mean, you can see like, you don't see the piping behind him, but you see like when he throws up, he just opens his mouth and there's like a, a shoot behind him where he's just, where it's just spewing this blueberry liquid or whatever it is. It's funny. <laughs> it's a kid's story. Um, it turns into a total barfarama. <laughs> it's just funny. Which again, another tie in, uh, you know, another similarity with, uh, uh, Sandlot, because they have a puking scene. Now, it's not a story puking scene, right. but they have that puking scene after the dip, you know, right. uh, tobacco, kids tobacco with uh, puking, you know, <laughs> kind of go hand in hand, I guess. <laughs> I am sure that the, the pitch line for Sandlot was stand by me, but with baseball. <laughs> I, could, I could totally <laughs> see that, like that, yeah. 
Yeah. All right. So the kids talk into the night. Uh, we just hear random stuff. I do like they're a little bit of back and forth. Like, all right, all right. Mickey's a mouse. Donald's a duck. Pluto's a dog. What's Goofy? What the hell is Goofy? <laughs> Shit like that. The, the the conversations that you have when you're a kid. Hell, the conversations I have now. Right. <laughs> basically. That night they hear howling and noises, which freak them out. So they decide to take shifts standing guard. We see Gordon, Gordy, you know, when he's sleeping, he's dreaming about his brother's funeral. He's freaked out. He wakes up and he and Chris talk and they talk about the uh, the milk money that he stole. And I love how Chris admits like, yeah, I stole it. But he lets us know that he gave the money back or he tried to. But the teacher who kind of blamed him never gave the money back and just kept the blame on Chris. But she ended up with like a new skirt or something or handbag. Or I can't remember what it was. Yeah. And so he's blames the teacher for kind of screwing him over. Now, would you ever do that, John? Would you ever, because you're a teacher, you know, just if you know that a bad kid who quote unquote is bad, even though Chris is not bad, if they're getting in trouble, would you just, you know, if they tried to do the right thing, would you just uh, keep it, keep the money and let them take the blame? No, no, no. If the kid tried to do the right <laughs> thing, it's, that's, that's the best, that's the best outcome. Yes. That's a good teacher. You keep your teaching. It doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to like the kid any better, but <laughs> yes, I'm not going to, I, I will, I would never mess with a kid for doing the right thing. Sure. Never. Yeah. In the morning, uh, Gordy sees a deer, and this is very symbolic to him. Um, obviously, it's something he talked about that he never really talked about it at all before. Doesn't mention it to the other guys at all. But it's a very, you know, it's something maybe that symbolizes his innocence or symbolizes something like that. I haven't really put much th- deep thought into what the deer mm-hmm. means, yeah. uh, but there is significance there. So, uh, so uh, they continue to walk. Um, you know, they're trying to go see Ray Brower's body. So they decide to take a shortcut through a field that'll save them an hour to get where they're going. Uh, meanwhile, we see the two guys in the gang who talk about Ray Brower's uh, body end up telling all the others about it. And so that gang also has the same idea. Hey, we could be famous. We can get into the paper. You know, let's go try to find the body. And they have a car, so they'll be easily to go much faster because it's only like 20 miles away. So for them, it's pretty easy. Uh, the boys have to cross this swampy area and, you know, at first they get in there. It's not that bad. They all fall in and they end up kind of throwing each other around and kind of wrestling in the water or whatnot. That is until they find leeches. And this is another kind of iconic scene mm-hmm. for me. And they all have to run out and strip off and they're pulling leeches off of each other until the last leech that Gordy finds. He looks in his jockeys and there's not Hershey squirts in there. <laughs> There's a leech hanging from his balls. <laughs> so, yeah, he uh, he faints with that one. And that uh, so. that that uh, swamp was actually like a man-made pool that the crew uh. built. But Corey Feldman stated in an interview that the joke was that they actually built the pool like two months before they actually shot there. So by the time they actually shot there, they're like, we don't even know what's really in there. Yeah, exactly. It could be totally gross by then. <laughs> <laughs> so that's funny. So at first, like their other kids consider going back because they think maybe Gordy's traumatized um, by having a leech sucking on his. Hold on. I, I just I just or... read this and this has to go in. Uh, uh-huh. uh, Stephen King did an interview for the special features of the DVD of this, and he revealed that the scene with the leeches was something that actually happened happened to him when he was a kid. Oh, shit. OK. Wow. Inc- wow. Ooh. I wonder if it fell. It was on his privates as well. Uh, who knows? Oh, interesting. Interesting. So, so yeah, so they're kind of worried about Gordy and his headspace right now. 
Teddy ends up pissing off Vern, where Vern, who we had seen not really, he kept getting punched for flinching and shit like this. Uh, now he kind of finally unleashes a little bit on Teddy, uh, which is good. But Gordy ends up stopping them, yelling, and he isn't going back. He is focused on wanting to find Ray Brower. All right, Ace and his gang race down the road. Uh, they're even kind of, you know, doing a chicken race side by side on the road. And we just see Ace is reckless. Um, there's a delivery truck that comes and it gets, has to swerve off to not crash head on with Ace. And just ultimately showing he has, well, utter recklessly abandoned, but also no, um, he's he's a psychopath. Yeah. He has no. Um, no regard for anybody. Yes, exactly. Himself or others. All right. The boys get to the area where they heard the body is. They look around. Vern sees it. And, uh, you know, they inspect, they look at the body. Gordy takes the sight of the dead body really hard. Um, it makes him obviously think of his dead brother and things like that. I did uh, look up the kid who played Ray Brower. His name is Kent Luttrell. Um, he's actually was became a stunt guy. He has over 100 credits of stunt work. Nice. So cool for him. It's good that he could take that and turn that into an actual like career, basically. Mm-hmm. Ace and Eyeball arrive. The boys are pissed off because they no, no, you can't take this from us. We call dibs. And they get there. The rest of the gang arrives. Obviously, Ace warns them that, you know, we're taking this body. We're going to kick your ass or you could just walk off now. But we're taking this fucking body. Chris stands his ground. Ace is about to, you know, he pulls out a switchblade. He's about to cut him. And all of a sudden, a gun round goes off. It's fired in the air. There's Gordy with the pistol in the air. He doesn't want anybody taking him. His group's not going to take him. Ace's gang's not going to take him. And he threatens to kill Ace. And I'm not going to lie, he says some great lines here. Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hood. What are you going <laughs> to Yeah. Ace responds, what are you going to do, shoot us all? And I think just utter badass, yeah. badassness. He says, no Ace, just you. No Ace, just you. And fuck, that makes Ace back down. Yeah. That's a that's a badass line. I, I love that. Absolutely. Uh, the kids decide an anonymous phone call is the best way to go bringing in the Ray Brower body. They walk back to town. We get some more narration from the writer. We find out, you know, kind of what happens through the kids through the years. You know, unfortunately, as it happens, Vern and Teddy kind of just kind of fade away as friends. When I think of my 12-year-old friends, God, I don't know if there's any of them that I talk to anymore. Right. I mean, that's how it happens. And we find out that uh, Chris became a lawyer and him probably writing about this was stemmed from how uh, Chris apparently just recently died. He was um, trying to stop a fight happening at like a fast food restaurant and he got stabbed in the throat and died like immediately. So that's what kind of sparked him talking about this line. And then we uh, are talking about this this story. Then we see what the writer writes as the tat, uh, types up as like the last line of the book. I never had any friends later on like the ones I had when I was 12. Jesus, does anyone? It's just an interesting line. It just, yeah, it makes you go back and think about about the friendships you had. I mean, I had some great friends and, and you know, even though I'm not close, but I could kind of reach out to the guys. It's easy, it's easy to reach out to them now with Facebook and things like that. And I saw one of them not terribly a couple years ago. But it doesn't take away, even though I'm not as close with them now, it doesn't take away the great friendships I had when I was younger. Yeah. You know, and, and I really appreciated that. And you go back and you exactly it personifies nostalgia, personifies this kind of podcast. 
and uh, and I appreciated those times and those friends. So, as Stand By Me plays, the movie ends. So, John, my man, uh, I would love to hear from you first. You know, tell me about your thoughts rewatching this, and obviously, you had your son watch. Uh, did you? Did your wife and daughter watch it all? Uh, no. Um, okay. Uh, I, well, my daughter saw everything after the puking story. Okay. So I had a short time to watch it this week. I ended up we my son and I watched started watching it and then I had to stop. I had to go pick up my daughter from something and then come back. And so we finished mm-hmm. the movie and so she saw the second half of it with us. I I don't really know what she got out of it. Okay. I think my son really liked it. Okay. He seemed really interested in these characters and I don't know that he necessarily got some of the deeper stuff and maybe that's fine. Maybe he's not ready for that deeper stuff yet. And that's something for like for us as we got older we got more and more out of it. So I you know if if what he's getting right now is kind of the fun little adventure that the kids are going on and the funny lines and stuff like that, great. And that means later on he can go back and rewatch that and he maybe he'll get something more out of it each time he watch it cuz I feel like every time I watch that movie there's I come away with something not something different, but something additional, something more mm-hmm. that I didn't quite see the first time I saw it. And this is a f- fantastic film that I'll, I'll always love you're right it's it's to me the movie isn't just good it's not even just great i think it's phenomenal i think it's a phenomenal movie and it's easy to make connections when we were younger easy to make those connections with the boys and you're right the more you watch it and the more you age you can still connect with the boys because of the nostalgia factor but then you also connect with the writer who is being nostalgic for that age and and all that kind of stuff. And so you're getting, you're right, you're getting different depths to the film at different times in your life whenever you watch it. Uh, yeah, I, I loved feeling the connections with the kids, the way they interact and realizing that I acted like the same way. Um, and in acting in general, I want to say these kids did a fantastic job. There's, there's a couple moments where I see it and I'm like, okay, that's a little cringy or that's not, mm-hmm. you know, maybe not the best acting there. But in general, they all did a wonderful job. And I, I just think it's pretty fucking amazing for kids their age Absolutely. for this acting. Yeah. And I would probably say this is probably my favorite coming of age movie. When I think of coming of age movies, this is, I think, the best of them all. It's an all time classic. And to me, it never gets old no matter when I watch it. I love this film. All right, let's talk The Dead Zone. This show ran from 2002 to 2007, six seasons, 80 episodes on the USA Network. It was based on characters from Stephen King's 1979 novel of the same name. Uh, There was a movie, a 1983 movie called The Dead Zone, which I'm certain was named after or was which is based after the uh, the book Mm -hmm. stars Christopher Walken. Have you ever seen the movie? No, I've never really had an interest in doing so either. Okay. Yeah, neither did I. Never seen it, um, so I really don't know. I assume it has some similarities, but probably not all that much, because this this show is just kind of based on the characters. It's not all that much based on the book, probably just a little bit. Mm -hmm. It was developed for TV by Michael Piller and Sean Piller. Uh, I believe they are brothers. Um, Michael, in particular, was a writer for Simon & Simon, Star Trek The Next Generation. He was the creator of of uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine and Voyager. Mm -hmm. So the big Star Trek guy right there. 
the cast for this show, Johnny Smith, is played by Anthony Michael Hall. We know him from Breakfast Club, 16 Candles, Weird Science, a lot of 80s stuff. After the 80s, he had a really quiet career, and I felt like this kind of brought him back into the limelight. I totally agree. Um, when you mentioned movie, I'm going to throw out a movie, and I don't know, maybe we'll throw this on. Do you remember the movie Johnny Be Good? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I kind of do. That's. Uh, I mean, I yeah, I, I think I sometimes confuse it with, um, what's the Michael Keaton gangster movie? Oh, um, I know what you're talking about. It's a comedy. Yeah, it's a comedy. Why can't I? Why can't I think of the name? Because it's it's got the um, Joe, not Joe, Johnny Dangerously. Johnny Dangerously. There it is. I, when you, yeah, I sometimes do, but I do remember Johnny Be Good, I, and I remember you liking that movie particularly. Yeah, it's kind of like a teen football movie. Okay, I don't know. Maybe that's if 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 we have space in the schedule, I might throw that up there as a, a fun one to revisit. Sure, um, sounds good. Uh, Sarah Bannerman is played by Nicole De Boer. That sounds about right. She was in Star Trek: Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, amongst amongst uh, plenty of other things. Uh, Sheriff Scott Bannerman is played by Chris Bruno. Uh, some small roles, uh, things yeah, like, like All My Children and some other stuff like that, but nothing else I particularly uh, feel needs to be called out. Uh, his friend Bruce was played by John L. Adams. Again, some small things, but nothing I particularly recognized. Uh, Reverend Purdy is played by David Ogden Stiers, mm-hmm. or Steers. He was in M.A.S.H., He's in uh, quite a bit of MASH episodes. He also voiced Cogsworth in Beauty and the Beast um, and also did voices in Pocahontas, Lilo and Stitch, and he's done a lot of stuff, actually. I mostly remember him for being in Doc Hollywood. Oh, that's right. I kind of forgot about him being in Doc Hollywood. Yeah, I totally did. Okay, good call. That's another one that we should get on the That is absolutely one that we need to get on the schedule. Yeah, that's that's one we're, we're both particularly fond of, so. Deputy Roscoe played by Bill Mondi, and he's got a lot of credits. Uh, he did a voice back in way back in the day for Mobile Suit Gundam. He was in Miracle. He's got plenty of credits for him. And then uh, it was a fairly long-running show, and so uh, other people who had made their way on there in one fashion or another are Sean Patrick Flannery, Stephen Tobolowski, uh, Ali Sheedy, Richard Lewis, Ed Asner, Tom Skerritt, and Jane Lynch all had uh, a part here or there on the show. So this is a science fiction drama television show about Johnny Smith, who discovers he developed psychic abilities after a coma from being in a car accident. Uh, He would touch someone or something, and that would spark a vision. And he would use this ability to help solve crimes or save lives or something like that. You know, stop serial killers, shit like that. So every episode was typically another thing that he would help solve. Besides, like, the first episodes, which I watched three episodes, mm. and they were all the first three episodes. I just kind of let it ride. It is all available on Tubi right now. I think it's also on the Roku channel, so it's it's available. It's also it's also available on Amazon Prime with commercials. Oh, yeah, the freebie that they call yeah. it. Yes, the same kind of thing. So, what do you remember of The Dead Zone when you were younger? I think I got into The Dead Zone probably around season three or four. Okay. And then kind of wrote it out for a few seasons after that. Um, it was kind of like, uh, what was the uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt one that was kind of in the same Ghost Whisperer? Ghost Whisperer? Yeah, it was yeah. another one where I kind of got into it. Now, why I got into Ghost Whisperer is kind of an entirely different reason as to why I, <laughs> why I sure. got into the Dead Zone. And I think I just saw an episode one day and I was like, oh, wow, that's a not 
a bad show. That's pretty good. And so then I just continued to watch it whenever it would come on. Yeah. I think mostly okay. I saw it in syndication on USA mm-hmm. or whenever they would show reruns of it. Um, I don't know that I necessarily watched like the newest episodes every time they came out, but it was mm-hmm. anytime it was on, I was watching it. Okay. Sounds good. Um, I remember the earlier seasons the best because I felt like this show was kind of a big deal when it first came out. Um, I don't know how huge it was, but maybe it was just for us because I actually remember this being a family show. I remember me and mom and maybe Abby at the time sitting down because you when it started, you were already. Yeah, I was in college. I'd been in college for like two or three years at that point. So exactly. But I specifically remember watching this one with mom. Um, and I, and like I said, I think maybe Abby did for like the first season or whatnot, but like this was a scheduled viewing for us It's one we sat down and watched as a family. Uh, and so I absolutely remember, you know, a little bit of like, or at least I remember watching it, you know, early on and then it just kind of faded away. I think when I moved off to college, it just kind of, it wasn't one I kind of kept up with, but it, so it was, it was one I'm nostalgic for. And so, yeah, I, I kind of always was pretty fond about this one. So, uh, there were Two theme songs for the show, uh, seasons ep- uh, seasons one through three, use the song "New Year's Prayer" by Jeff Buckley. And then seasons four through six use the song. Uh, Dead Zone Epic by Blues Saracenco. Sino, Saracino, whatever that is. I, I didn't, neither of them I really care about, you know. I will say, I think I, listening to both of them, I like the second theme song better. Mm. First one's just a little bit more eerie, don't really care. I'm also not a big Jeff Buckley fan. Ah. I mean, I don't dislike him, I just just don't love yeah. him. So, Apparently, for the show, due to financial concerns and fear of low ratings on part of the producers, it was canceled on a major cliffhanger oh. uh, in, to, in 2007 uh, without an actual series finale. Uh, so it was rumored that the sci-fi channel was going to pick it up um after it was canceled by usa but that has not happened never did so it just ended on a cliffhanger and i didn't actually look to see what the cliffhanger was but and so i watched the episodes i watched a few episodes like i mentioned and it is a show that as i already it's exactly it's very dramatic it's got the sci-fi elements you know he's he's a seer he sees stuff and then he kind of continues on what what's happening you know he's gonna solve stuff or help out the police or shit like that but the police is actually the drama behind it john is the sheriff in town is now married to his fiance but he was in a six-year coma and mm-hmm. so she didn't just wait around she thought he was gonna die and so there's a at first there is a uh it's a tension between right them, things like that i do think things get a little bit easier and i have no idea if he actually ends up getting with with getting back together with his old fiance or not um or he just kind of moves on or whatnot right. but uh but yeah so what about anything else you uh want to talk about from the show um i i just watched one episode because it was honestly all i had time for it was a later one from season one um i just kind of wanted to refamiliarize myself with the show and yeah it's kind of what i remembered it's it's very um episodic you know, something mm-hmm. happens, he has to help, he uses his visions, 
Usually yeah. something something doesn't go his way or something like that, and then it gets all corrected or something. The one I watched, um, he was in another small town. There was a murder. He gets blamed for it, and then he has to go to trial in that town, and then it turns out that the mm. that you know this other thing happened, and then it was all wrapped up by the end. And and it was what I remembered it was, but it was still a, a decent hour of television. I think kind of the um, some of those late, late, late nineties, early two thousands, like the quality of the video or the style of video that they did, it doesn't uh-huh. really translate as well anymore. Yeah. I think they were trying something new in those later, you know, late nineties, early two thousands that maybe worked then, but it doesn't stick around. Like I can go back and watch things like Cheers or the A Team or mm-hmm. other stuff where I'm still I'm still able to like watch it without a problem. But some of those ones from the early 2000s, something about the I don't know if it was the format that they used or just the style of cinematography they used for the TV show, especially the dramatic ones, yeah. just doesn't quite sit as well anymore. I don't think. Yeah, I kind of agree with you on that. Yeah, I mean there are elements I liked from it. It kind of came across a little cringy to me. <laughs> Like, it's just like there's a cheesy, cringy factor, a little bit of overacting uh, in general. Maybe it's just kind of like that TV drama. Right. Like, they were taking themselves too, too seriously. Is they're trying to be a little bit too dark and ominous or dark and ominous. But maybe it found its stride later on. I don't, I don't, I can't remember. It kind of gave me the same feeling that like Dark Angel gave me. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Tried, tried too hard. Yeah. <laughs> Tried too hard. Um, I think the concept is was interesting, and I remember liking it at the time. But I'm not expecting myself to go and do a full rewatch anytime soon. I agree. This episode of the Blast from Our Past podcast is not brought to you by. Do you know me? It's frightening how many novels of suspense I've written. But still, when I'm not recognized, it just kills me. So instead of saying I wrote Carrie, I carry the American Express card. Without it, isn't life a little scary? To apply for the card, look for an application and take one. The American Express card. Don't leave home without it. All right, and now Adam and I are going to do the impossible. We are going to recast the greatest movie ever made. Woo! Or what I would call the greatest movie ever made. So we are going to recast the Shawshank Redemption using actors of today. We've got a, a good number of characters. We've got to do Andy Dufresne. We're going to do Red, Ward Norton, Captain Hadley, Tommy Boggs, Brooks, and Haywood. And maybe we could have done without Haywood, but Haywood does play a pretty substantial role in this. Um, yeah. uh, at least I think the other characters you absolutely have to have in here because they play pivotal points and moments in Andy Dufresne's journey in this. So you absolutely have to have him. Haywood was kind of like a fun yeah. little pseudo comic relief if you could have a comic relief in a movie like this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He, he was there at times, but he's like just part the of the dim-witted group guy of close who yeah got made fun of a lot. <laughs> Alexander, dumbass. <laughs> hey, would you shit? That's a horse apple. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so let's start with Haywood. And Adam, who did you pick? Sure. And I literally just changed my pick on Haywood. I mean, I, I kind of shoot for the moon on this one. I will tell you that what make partly what makes this movie great to me is why it stands some of the test of time is similar enough with Stand By Me. 
a period piece. Mm-hmm. And that's why you can go back and rewatch it. Same with Sandlot as well, as I've brought that up a couple times. Those are movies that are set in a set of time, so you can go back and like still feel like it fits in that world. Right. And it doesn't matter. You know, it's not trying to be like, oh, present day. And then it's like, oh, man, that's obviously the 80s. That's not right. That's not right. right. So I stuck to I didn't try to change anything. I didn't try to change any people or any, you know, races or any genders or any anything like that myself, mm-hmm. because I'm like, you know what? I'm going to keep this in like that kind of 20s, 30s, 40s, whatever, when it was kind of like going. I can't remember exactly the time frame off the top of my head. So I kind of kept it exactly. I kind of kept it as it was, and I I wouldn't say I shot for the moon, but I feel like I I, I got I pulled some some pretty good names for this mm. because I'm trying to do as much of a one to one as possible. That's just kind of how I, my head went. I get that, but I also totally understand because I've done this before, and where it's like leave that movie as it is. Let me change. Let me change up my casting totally because I don't. I want it to be a separate type of thing. Right. And I will say the first name I was going to change from was Michael Shannon. He's a huge name. He's great. That's a huge name. Huge name for Haywood. But, right. but, but William Sadler is a hell of an actor. Yeah, but William Sadler has always really been known as that kind of like Char- character actor. And so that's why I'm ultimately going to shift it to someone else who has been a great character actor on a lot of other stuff. A lot of people maybe know him best from the more recent True Grit movie. Um, but he's just done a he's a phenomenal actor, and I think I've used him before, but it's a long time ago. And so he's just great on the side. He's great with whatever you need, and he could do what I want. I went with Barry Pepper as my Haywood. Oh, I love Barry Pepper. Yeah, I'm yeah, I'm yeah. totally cool with that. Yep, just a really good cool actor. Haywood is kind of the only ch- rough change that I made a little bit. Okay, if it was necessary, they, I will say to its maybe to its credit, or, or I don't know. Race was not necessarily something that was really brought up at all mm-hmm. in the movie. You're right. Now, to be fair, the biggest change from the movie to the book is that in the book, red is not black. Correct. Red. He's actually Irish. He's actually Irish. <laughs> which there's there's black Irish people. You know what I mean? Yes, but they don't ever address it. It was just, which is great. Honestly, it's fine because then you really get down to the nitty gritty of the story with that. You just picked mm-hmm. the best actors. For the yeah. roles that were needed. Sure. And so I wanted somebody who could kind of play a little bit dim-witted, but could take the role seriously enough to know how to play off of the other actors in there. And it's a little bit of a, a change, but I don't think it's really that big of a deal. I went with Michael Pena. Oh, okay. I mean, he can bring funny and he can bring serious. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is an, a he's a perfect character actor. Yeah. I, I think he fits wonderfully in that role particularly. Yeah. Yep. Love that. Uh, all right, Brooks. Man, was this a tough one because, uh, and I yeah. cannot remember the name of the original guy who played Brooks. But man, he played it so well. I, uh, you know what? I I've had this come up where you know someone has asked me like, you know, as a guy, what's a scene in a movie that makes you cry? Brooks's death. That's my yeah. that's my immediate answer. Brooks's death makes me cry every mm-hmm. single time. It makes me well up every single time. So I had a really hard time with this. But I picked another character actor who's about at the right age now who um, I've seen in a lot of different things and I think could play this role really well. He doesn't quite look like the Brooks we know, so it's going to be a slightly mm-hmm. different take. I went with Hector Elizondo. Oh, fuck yes. What a great actor. What a great actor. Uh, yes, I like that call. Done all- I'm not sure. Yeah, how? God, 
How old is he now, man? I'm kind of curious. I think he's in his 70s, but Pretty Woman, uh, Runaway Bride. Yeah. Uh, character actor in all different kinds of stuff. Uh, he was in... Um, he's 86. 86. He, was, he did 10 years on Last Man Standing, which was yeah. uh, Tim Allen's TV show that he had. And I, wa- I watched a few episodes of that with Dad. Because Dad likes mm-hmm. to watch I, that. I saw that with Dad too. Yeah, and I, I thought it was pretty good. It was fine. It was a fine. Yeah. It was a fine sitcom. And I, I think he, he, he's got the experience to to give us that emotional Brooks experience that we need, you know, for for a recasting yep. thing like this. Absolutely, absolutely. He's a wonderful actor who you've seen a lot, and anybody out there, you'd recognize his face. And he's, yep, he's a great call. Um, I think the guy I picked. He's actually he's eighty seven. The guy who I picked is okay. eighty seven. He's been in a. T- Bunch of different stuff. He is, I think, definitely got the acting chops. He does mostly comedy things, but he's, I mean, he's also been in dramatic stuff like A Beautiful Mind and uh, The Fablemans uh, recently, which I still need to see. I, I can't believe I haven't seen The Fablemans yet, um, the Steven Spielberg movie. But uh, this actor, I think, even kind of has a look that kind of works with The Last Brooks. I went with Judd Hirsch. As my Brooks. Oh. You you would know him from Independence yeah. Day. He was on Taxi. But he is, he's done some dramatic stuff before, and I, I just I feel like it would fit. Did you, have you, did you see The Fablemans? No, I haven't, and I, and I badly, badly need to. Yeah, that's basically just Steven Spielberg's life, isn't it? Yeah. It's yeah, I think much. it's great that it's an autobiography, and he's doing it in the medium that makes sense for him. Of course. You know, he's not gonna, why would he write a book when you're Steven fucking Spielberg? Right. You make a movie autobiography, you know. Yeah, I did. I did hear an interview of him when he uh, he said that um, that he when he first saw Paul Dano and Michelle Williams like in costume together, he's like, I was looking at my mom and dad. Oh, that's I mean awesome. that. Oh, that's got to be that's got to be hard. That's got to mm-hmm. be hard. Yeah, love Judd Hirsch, great actor. Mm-hmm. Not a cool. not a problem, and he would fit that kind of kindly old man thing really really yeah. well. <laughs> uh, all right, Boggs, the man we love to hate. Fuck yeah. Who did you pick for Boggs? So, um, like, as a smallish role as that is, Mark Ralston just leaves an impact. Absolutely. It's really tough for me to pick who I wanted to fill his roles, and I, and I went back to a well that I go to all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Boggs is, is scary. I mean, he is fucking intense. I mean, he's a great kind of extra villain in the movie, like a short-term villain. And I went to a guy who I know can play villains. I know he can play other stuff, hilarious, other things funny as well. He runs the gamut. And I think he even kind of has like a, a creepy Boggs look to him in some of the stuff I've seen. I went with Walton Goggins. I use him all the time, but he is a great actor. Yeah. I mean, I can't, I cannot <laughs> fault you in that. He's a great character actor. He yeah. can definitely, he can bring the creep when he needs yeah. to. So he brings a creep. No problems with that. I ended up picking a actor who I think looks a little younger. Um, mm-hmm. I think he's in his mid-40s right about now. But the funny thing is, is he isn't actually even that known for on-screen acting. He is oh. mostly known for his video game acting. But he's oh. been getting a lot of praise because of the live-action version of The Last of Us. And he just appeared on an episode, and I I want to give this guy some more screen time. And he's kind of got a he can he can look like a creep. He kind of did in this episode in the la- latest episode of The Last of Us. I went with Troy Baker. Okay, I I need to watch 
that show because I've heard good things. I've never seen or never played the games. I've never played oh, the games either, but he voiced the original main character. Oh, okay. Uh, in the one that is the the role that Pedro Pascal plays in the TV show. Okay, so that's why they give him a role on the show. Yes. He does look younger, but I'm I, he, I think he's at the right age range for what we would need a box for now. Right. Yeah, I, I've definitely heard his voice. I'm looking through some of his video games credits. Holy shit, that's a lot of credits. Yeah. Yeah, he's got a lot. Of, and I could see him having a creepy look to him. Absolutely. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So uh, do you do you recommend, obviously, you're, re- you're recommending Last of Us? Uh, I, I'm, I might go as far to say it's the best thing on television right now. Wow. Wow. And you got Mandalorian going on right now. So Pedro Pascal's killing it. He is absolutely killing it. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I want to give a quick shout out uh, uh, to Podcasting After Dark. They did an interview with Mark Ralston, and they, they oh, talked yeah. all of his. I remember, and it was a good. So, it was a very good episode. I thought it was a very good interview. I really mean to say, Sh- shameless plug for uh, Podcasting After Dark. So, uh, all right, good call, good call. I, 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 I want to see. I got to see the series, and I'm very curious now with that call. Yeah. Um, you know how this guy does. There, there's a, there's only nine. The, there's only nine episodes in the first season. Uh, the, the the newest, the, the last episode I think is going to come out in a couple days. So, okay. Uh, by the time this airs, it'll the first yeah. season will be all, all done. So, okay, it's definitely so, uh, worth, yeah, it's definitely okay. worth a watch. It's an emotional tug. Okay. Pretty much every episode. Cool. So I'm down. I like I like tugs. Uh, Rubs it, rubbing tugs. <laughs> uh, all right, Tommy. I I kind of just saw a picture, even though I think it's a, a little bit of a younger picture of this guy, but I, I think he works. He had the right look in it. I was like, okay, I think he's a few years older, but we can just get back to that look. And I don't know that if I've ever cast this guy. I, he did his best. He did his best to be young Han Solo. But I think he could uh. maybe redeem himself with some Tommy. I went with uh, Alden Ehrenreich. I don't love Solo. I just don't. I, I don't either. Don't think it's that good, but I don't. Doesn't mean I hate him as an actor, right? So, you know, I'm I'm willing to give him a shot. Uh, yeah, he's 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 fairly young. I think he definitely can play young when compared to all these other kind of cute. Right. Uh, yeah. I I think that's fine. I think it's totally fine. Cool. All right. Who'd you pick? All right. Um, my actor uh, is I th- I think even younger than yours. I mean that makes sense. Yeah, Tommy can be like Tommy can be any any range where he looks and acts a good bit younger than right. the other guys. That's pretty much all that's needed. The last time we saw my guy, my actor, I've actually cast him before, and I think he just gives me Tommy vibes, man. The last time we saw him, he was kind of a badass metalhead and D and D head, and he was rocking the '80s hair. It was in Stranger Things season four. Joseph Quinn, who played um, Eddie Munson on stranger things i just i get i get tommy vibes from him as at least from that role where i think he would fit fine and fit good in this role yeah uh i got no problem with that um sure. i've only seen him in that role i'm looking at yeah um, I, he was on he was like looks like he was on like one episode of game of thrones not enough where i'd be able to pick him out yeah i, I see i'm looking at kind of the credits of it it was a very he played like a winterfell guard very briefly right <laughs> so uh, but I liked I liked his performance, uh, even though that might be the only episode. No, I saw most of those episodes, uh, mm-hmm. mostly because my daughter uh, played it on a loop. <laughs> she she played that, that season on a loop for a while, so I pretty much saw the whole season, just not all straight at, at once. Mm-hmm. Um, Sounds good. Yeah, I got no problem with that. 
Okay. Uh, all right, uh, Captain Hadley. I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of happy with my Captain Hadley, but I want to hear yours first. Really tough with this one, because um, Clancy Brown, he he is intimidating. Uh-huh. He is a wonderful intimidating actor in this role, and the actor who I got I think can bring the intensity. Uh, that Hadley had, that uh, Clancy Brown had as Hadley. He doesn't. I don't think he has the height and like uh, the physical intimidation that Clancy Brown has. Mm-hmm. But he has the he has the the exact. He's got the vibe okay. that I need. And so I went with John Bernthal as my Captain Hadley. Okay, he's got the attitude. I mean, Exa- yeah, he, he's got the attitude. They'll figure out how to. Sh- they'll shoot him on an Apple box or something, make him look a little bit taller. I don't know. We'll figure it out. But he's exactly. He's got the tude. Yeah. And and I think more than anything, you need that mm-hmm. with Hadley. He's got to be intimidating, and uh, yeah. yeah, I think that definitely works. Okay, um, I did go with an actor who is a little bit taller, is about six foot three. So if he's not exactly what uh, Clancy Brown is, he's pretty close. And I think he's mostly kind of played semi lovable characters, kind of even even if they're like kind of goofy lovable. But I think he could really turn on the the hate for Hadley. Uh-huh. I went with David Harbour. That was the second name I wrote down. Okay. It's kind of I was debating between the two of them pretty much. I think that's a good call, really good call. Okay, you're right because you're right. We've always seen him as semi lovable and that kind of stuff, and he kind of is. But you know, he's an actor. I'm sure he could do it, and he'd probably have fun in a role like this as something different. Although, did you see the movie Violent Night? No, but I've heard, I've heard awesome. I'm just saying, I've heard nothing but good things <laughs> about that movie, yeah. and I feel like I need to need to watch it at some point. Mm-hmm. Yep, me too. Uh, all right, Warden Norton. Oh, what was the name of the actor who originally played him? Uh, Sam Gunton. Something. Bob. Something like Bob Gunton. Bob Gunton. Bob, Bob Gunton. Which right who I've met. He was at a Star Trek con. He had a, he had just a little table off to the side. No one was in his line. I walked right uh-huh. up to him was the nicest human being I've ever nice. met at a con. That's super, awesome. super sweet. Such a sweetheart. And plays assholes so well. <laughs> yes. So well. So it was going to be hard to recast that. Um, so I went, I thought of like some of the guys who played really good assholes over the last like 10 years or so. Mm-hmm. One name came to mind, and I was like, you know what? If he can do an American accent, great. If he can't do an American accent, fuck it. I'll let him just do it in his natural accent. I went with Christoph Waltz. Oh, yeah. I didn't think about that. Uh, yeah, he does have his heavy, thick German accent, but he'll they'll figure it out. He I didn't I didn't consider him, but I that's a wonderful call. He's an amazing actor. He's a great asshole and a great villain. Yeah, and you, I mean, you don't need the warden to be physically intimidating. That's what he has Hadley yeah. for. So you just need him to be like mentally intimidating, and I think Christoph Waltz can absolutely do that. Yep, without question. So, all right, who did you pick? All right, uh, my Warden Norton, I think it might be a somewhat surprising call because he's mostly known for his comedy. But over the last probably five to ten years, he's really taken a lot more dramatic roles, and he's kind of done some villainous type of stuff um, where I think I think he could eat this one up and I think he would do well yeah I mean we're all used to him being goofy and saying that's what she said but in things like Foxcatcher he's a real fucking asshole I went with Steve Carell as my Warden Norton 
I totally can see that. You're right. He's been doing a lot of serious stuff over the last probably decade or so. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's a good call. Actually, I think that's a really good call. Uh, like uh, unexpected because everyone just assumes comedy, but sure. yeah. What's the what's the one that they did about the housing crisis that he was in? Oh, uh, um, big big short, big short. I've heard that was really good too. I haven't seen that one. Phenomenal, great movie. I own it. It's so good. Okay, I'll have to check that one out at some point. Unstoppably good editing. <laughs> really, <laughs> it is like one of the best edited movies over the last like ten years. Cool, or whenever it came out. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, Red. Who did you pick for Red? Uh, I had a couple ideas but ultimately there was really only one choice how the hell are you gonna replace morgan freeman you're not who is you're not you're not gonna you're not, you're gonna. not gonna replace morgan freeman but how are you gonna get to someone who has the level of morgan freeman and there is one guy who is an older actor by now and he fits the role perfectly in my opinion i had to go with denzel washington as red okay N- had to. no no problems with that whatsoever Mm-hmm. I think that works out well. Yeah, I was just, I'm trying to think of some of the stuff he's been doing lately. I think the last uh, he, the last he movie I saw in the uh, theater with him was Flight. Oh, okay, yeah, that was that was, was a heavy like movie. It's probably like 2010 or something. No, 2012. 2012, yeah, was when Flight was. Yeah, but so. that, that's just what I can remember. But I I, I totally see it. I mean, that takes me back to uh, another movie. Maybe we'll do on here, Glory. Oh, yeah. Great scenes with Morgan and Denzel in that one together. Mm -hmm. Great stuff on that one. Great movie to kind of remember for uh, Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. It's glory. There's a lot more people in glory than you kind of Yeah, absolutely. Uh, All right. So I did make a change because I I didn't want to have to replace Morgan Freeman. Mm -hmm. So I took Red back to the original story. Okay. And I picked an Irish actor for Red. I wanted to pick somebody who was in that middle age because they kind of have to be able to play young going into sure. old. Uh, ultimately, I decided to go with an older actor who I knew would be tried and true and who if, if we need to digitize him up a little bit for the beginning just to smooth him out or make up, whatever we need to mm-hmm. do. And he's he's a bit older, but he is uh, he is an elder statesman for a reason. I went with Brendan Gleeson. I, I, you know what? When you said you were going to Irishman, I kind of was like, I bet he's going to go with Brendan Gleeson. Yeah. Who is an amazing actor. Um, love him in, in Bruges. Love him in, I mean, pretty much anything he does. I haven't seen the more recent one that he had with Colin. Uh, the Banshees Farrell. of Inisherin. Exactly. I haven't seen that either, but I've heard it's really good. Yeah. I, I, I like him in almost everything. I like him as an actor so, it's just so much. I think he's a great call. And I do, I was about to, I was about to make fun of, John, they also have to narrate the movie, and they're going to sound like this when they narrate the movie. Uh, heart, 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 heart. Uh, no, Brandon Gleason would sound great. Yeah. <laughs> so, great so that's a good call. That's, I think it's a wonderful call. Okay. Uh, all right. Andy Dufresne. I, <laughs> I, had the, I had the toughest time with Andy Dufresne, so I'm, I'm going to yeah, let you go first then. Okay. Yeah, I very much had a tough time because how can I get a one-to-one to Tim Robbins's Andy Dufresne, there is an innocence but strength there. There is a humbleness, but there is an overwhelming intelligence. He's he's vulnerable. He's in a terrible, scared situation, but he, he he's so there's the frailty of all that. But mm-hmm. but he's also your protagonist. 
I had a tough time, and I'm certain this actor could do it. Can they do it as good as Tim Robbins? Doubtful. Right. But that's just from going off of the movie that I love the most more than any other movie, so it's kind of hard to say they could. But this guy, again, he is, well, oh, wow, I didn't even realize. Ha! I didn't, I didn't even realize uh, he has worked with Steve Carell before. Um, so, you know, maybe they would have fun working together again in this much more serious role. But he has, he's done more dramatic stuff, even though some of it is kind of action-y. He has still done some more dramatic things other than, like, you know, what we best know him from, which is The Office. But I do think he's had enough of these more dramatic roles that I think John Krasinski could be a good Andy Dufresne. That's not a bad call. I don't okay. think that's a that's a I don't think that's a bad call at all. I think I think he's he's come a long way from the office days. Uh, I'm not mm-hmm. even particularly a fan of the office, but I don't think that's a bad call at all. I wouldn't okay. necessarily be cool. upset. I'd be willing if I heard that, I'd be willing to give him a shot. Much like I forget which one you said that you just made a change. I just now made a change in my Andy Dufresne. <laughs> okay, yeah, and, and I th- and I think for the better in the long run, because um, Andy needs to be kind of unassuming mm-hmm. a little bit. He's got to yeah. have a little bit of a, an apparent innocence. And I'll tell you who I originally picked, and then who I who I who I'm gonna stick with. And you can tell me if I made the right call to switch or not. Um, my original pick was actually going to be Casey Affleck. That's funny. The first name I wrote down was Ben Affleck, but he's too old. Right. And so I could see that. Yeah. But I just now, while looking through things, saw an actor. I'm like, oh, that fits Andy to me more than Casey Affleck does. So I'm just making, I'm I'm going to make a a last minute change and I'm going to go with Paul Dano. Oh, he is unassuming. Yeah. I think he's got that, that young banker look. Yes, he does. He, He pulls off the intelligent vibe. I mean... Yeah, and I need to see Fablemans as we kind of already talked. Yeah. I, I bet I bet his role in that would particularly. But I mean, um, in addition to show. obviously being a, I thought a pretty good Riddler, considering oh, I, yeah, considering yeah, yeah. I'm not a big fan of the Riddler as a character. I think he made yeah. it a little bit interesting. He's been in There Will Be Blood, Little Miss Sunshine, yeah. Twelve Years a Slave. Yeah, he's been around. <laughs> he's got some great credits. Absolutely. So. And I, to me, looks a, I think he looks a little bit more like a um, like a young Tim Robbins. Yeah. So I think. Yeah, exactly. And you just take him kind of as is and maybe kind of age him up a little bit for some of the later stuff. Right, of course. And that would work perfect. I, I think he's. I think that is a damn good call. Okay, cool. Uh, all right. Well, we survived. <laughs> and I think we did a pretty good job. I think so, too. Um, I, I don't think I don't think anything that would be ever done is ever going to live up to that. Um, sure. in, in addition to the great cast that he had, Frank Darabont had an amazing script, did an amazing job mm-hmm. directing that film. Great shots. I think he, I think yeah. I don't think that cast and crew of that caliber would ever be uh, able to be assembled again for something mm-hmm. like that. I think I think they just kind of hit yeah. they hit pay dirt. And unfortunately, it hit it at a time when nobody was going to see that movie. But yeah. you know what? You know who's laughing at the end? They are because uh-huh. how often do we see that as the top movie in in the IMDb uh, uh, ranking yeah. system? Many many people consider it one of the greatest movies of all time, if not the greatest movie of all time. Mm-hmm. Box office doesn't mean shit when it comes down to it. Is it a great film? And, yes, it and, is. And neither does the fucking Oscars. Yeah, I you know fuck them. I the more the older I get, the more I just think it's all political bullshit. Right, and it's just. Who cares? Because, yeah, let the people decide. 
All right, folks, that was our recasting of the Shawshank Redemption. Please join us next time for another album review episode. John and I go over the grunge supergroup album, Temple of the Dog. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com. And if you want to suggest a movie or TV show from your childhood or to be a guest on the podcast, go over to patreon.com backslash blastpastcast and pick a tier that works for you. To find us on social media, search for at blastpastcast. So until next time, I'm John. And I'm Adam. And thanks for joining us. See you next time. I'm Adam. And I'm Corey. And we are the hosts of Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast. We are breaking down every single episode of Seinfeld as we watch it, reliving this amazing show. That's right. It's a trip down memory lane for all of us 90s kids out there. You can find Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and Patreon. La la la.